Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. It's Christina here today, and it's officially that time of year, fall, and kind of back to school, where we're all kind of getting that itch vibe to start to create new structure for ourselves and for our children after a summer of fun, games, parties, and vacations, and all of the things. So it's natural that as parents, we're all kind of itching to get things quote-unquote back in order. Um, And how can we do that as a family without overthinking, over-focusing, or putting too much pressure on ourselves and on our children? On this week's episode, I'm chatting with Diana Rice from Anti-Diet Kids about how to navigate your internal healthism voice that heavily influences the way you feed your child, how positive encouragement can accidentally create a food hierarchy, how navigating a narrow mind of healthy for our children can create a lot of internal parental pressure, and how to create a healthy relationship with food in your home without compromising yours or your child's mental and emotional health. It's so easy to get stuck in overcomplicating mealtimes and how that can create like this negative pressure on ourselves and on our children. And Diane and I really dive into this a lot today, sharing some of our own personal stuff, how we kind of backtrack if we accidentally kind of slip up or say something that's like, oh God, I didn't mean to say that or something like that too. So we're going to walk you through this together. I'm super excited and yeah, let's get started. Yeah, so why don't we start off? I'm so excited to have you on. And I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about kind of how you became to be an anti-diet dietitian for children. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so um, I, I never thought out to be a dietitian in the first place. Um, when I went to my first go at college, I studied journalism. And then um, I thought I would get um, as I got more and more interested in writing about food, I was like, oh, well, let me like, you know, go back to school, like, you know, learn how to be in health, a health expert. And I went back to school to add RD to my list of credentials. But at the time I really didn't know anything about the anti-diet movement. I knew I wanted to do family health. I don't know what that, what, like, I didn't have kids of my own at the time, but it was just always a calling that I really wanted to work with kids and do family health. So I, I'm not really sure where that comes from. Um, other than I will say that I, um, I now know that I had this is so weird. Like I had a pretty great childhood when it comes to food myself. (laughs) And I thought that was totally normal. Um, I now know that it might be more of the exception rather than the rule. Um, but perhaps, you know, subconsciously that was feeding into me wanting to, you know, help other families have that experience. Um, but I didn't, um, you know, set out to be an anti-diet children's dietitian. I did want to work with kids though. And um, as I had my own kids uh, and, you know, became self-employed, kind of did the thing where I was like, this will be a perfect way to stay home and also do what I love. Like total sarcasm there because that is not how being self-employed works. Um, my way in the, the pediatric nutrition space, um, 
at the sort of the, the older and older I get, the, the more I learned about the anti-diet movement. And I find that for a lot of dietitians or, or you know, certified into eating counselors, anybody in the space of helping people heal their relationship with food, I want to say like nine out of 10 people are, you know, came to it through healing their own relationship mm-hmm. with food. And that wasn't the case for me. It was more, for me, it was more like, um, you know, people would post a picture of cookies or a burger and be like, before I found intuitive eating, I would have felt so guilty about eating this. And I'd be like, I never felt weird about eating that. Like, what's, what's this intuitive eating thing all about? Um, and, you know, sort of found out about intuitive eating that way. I never really had like an aha moment about it being the, you know, the, the way for me to heal my own relationship with food, but was more like, well, yeah, that's, that's what I do. So uh, <laughs> I guess I'm on team intuitive eating. That's so funny. Like, that is a really unique way of falling into it because yeah. most of the time you hear, and myself included, your own battered kind of really <laughs> relationship yeah. with that's kind of cool that you found out like, oh, I think I'm already doing that. Exactly. There's a name for this, which is so interesting and very cool. Yeah. Your childhood set you up for that. That was Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that as I've, as I've pieced the, the pieces together, I didn't really figure this out until almost my early thirties, which I, I think this is actually a, a blessing that I was so blissfully unaware. Um, but I now know that my own mom did have a disordered relationship with food. A lot of it came from her parents and you know their ideas about eating and bodies. And although my mom continued to diet throughout my childhood, like I would see her on Jenny Craig or, or Atkins or whatever, um, I, I believe that she kind of intentionally put up a wall that, you know, those food issues wouldn't reach her kids. Like she was able to connect the dots that it didn't, um, whatever her parents did in her home did not help her out. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I tell parents this all the time, sort of a fake it till you make it deal. Like she was still struggling with her own, um, you know, body image and dieting, but there was just like this complete disconnect for a good disconnect where it just, we were never pressured to eat anything, uh, sweets and chips and whatever were always still available. Nobody said a, a word. We always had family dinners and it honestly just didn't cross my mind that anybody would feel otherwise until honestly, until I started connecting with other dietitians who, you know, um, a lot of people are attracted to the nutrition profession because they want to get nutrition like perfect, you know, and they think studying it in school will help with that. Um, but whenever I tell the story, I always have to place the caveat that I was thin. So, you know, I was never thinking that I need to restrict my food intake to get my own body to be smaller because it was already small. So this would have been a whole other story if I was growing up in a larger body. Um, and I hope that my, my parents, you know, approach still would have remained. Um, but I don't, I don't know that for sure. And I certainly, there would have also been societal influences, um, you know, telling me that my body was this or that um, versus just really being really naive and blissfully unaware that, that anybody really struggles with food, which I feel so ridiculous about now because so many people struggle with food. Yeah, but you know what, it's kind of nice <laughs> Um, that experience where you felt kind of safe in your own home and didn't realize it for so long. You know, I mean, it's interesting too, because I, I sometimes think back about, I had a messed up relationship with food, but it wasn't really because of my parents, hmm. which is interesting. I was yeah. a dancer and a lot of it came outside of the home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, when, when my relationship with food got really obvious to my parents, my mom nipped that in the bud pretty quickly and saw it and was like, no, mm. <laughs> not in this house. We're going to manage this. But again, I was in a smaller, you know, a uh, a straight sized body. And so they probably thought, well, you don't need to be any thinner. So mm-hmm. it wasn't really brought up, but I do always wonder what it would have been like if I had had a larger body. And they said, would have maybe said, well, it's okay for you to want to lose weight or mm-hmm. who knows what could have been said that could have fed into the whole thing too. And I think about that a lot with, with children and how we talk about our bodies and how we do all those different things and how our relationship um, with our own body can, can really heavily influence 
all of those different pieces of how we then approach food, which is like a whole nother <laughs> topic. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, that, that is sort of the majority of what I do is I help um, people who don't know how to navigate this with their own kids, either because they don't have the example from their own childhood or because for whatever reason, societal pressures, um, their own relationship with food and their bodies is distraught. And they're, you know, they understand that they want to improve that, but they are still working on it. And they certainly don't know how to translate it to raising their kids. And I feel like the skill that I'm able to draw on um, far beyond my nutrition knowledge as a dietitian is, um, you know, just things come really naturally to me in terms of how to talk to kids. I I have two young uh, kids of my own, how I talk to them. Um, This is, this is why I um, really started focusing on this is I would put things that I say to my own kids on an Instagram post. I mean, again, I feel so naive, like it felt really second nature to me and I would get comments like, Oh, this is so hard for me, but I love following your stuff. And, you know, can you do more of how to talk to kids about this? And be like, you want me to just like, take, take what I'm saying to my own kids and put more of it online. Like, sure. If that would help, like, yeah, I'm happy to do that. And, you know, I didn't really realize how much of a need there is for it. Um, but there really, really is. And even among, uh, anti-diet professionals who work with adults, um, it's not this, but how you would do intuitive eating with an adult is not how you would raise an intuitive eater. There are, uh, some, some structures and constructs and rules. I hate to use that word, but rules <laughs> of, of when you are feeding kids. Um, that's just like really hard for people to navigate. And I, I struggle with it too sometimes. Um, but when, basically when I saw there was such a need for it and that I, you know, have this magical unicorn talent of, you know, having had this experience myself, um, it's something I want to pass on to other people. Oh, it's great. I actually have noticed that a lot in my own personal working relationship with adults too, as I'm starting to see more and more um, adults with children like myself who are then asking me at the end of the session, like, well, okay, so I hear you on all these different things, but then how do I apply this to my child or what can I do with at the dinner table at home and different stuff like that? And that's what honestly kind of inspired me to want to have this series as part of the whole hard eating podcast around conversations with professionals who are focused more on children because I see it so much. And I remember talking to Dana, my co-host about it and saying, Hey, um, a lot of our listeners might be parents yeah. <laughs> and might benefit from this. And this is questions that are coming up for me all the time. And I think it's a, it's important to kind of have that place to go to, especially if people are inspired enough to work on their own relationships. Sometimes some of the biggest motivations um, in working with that is wanting to protect our children from having mm-hmm. the same like combative relationship with food and their body as they have. Yeah. And so one of the things I've, I've been thinking about that I would love for you to kind of share is there are some ways that are um, common ways that parents can sometimes inadvertently demonize certain types of foods or even their body. And I'd love for you to share what you see often as some of the most common ways that that might accidentally happen in a conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so parents, um, even when a parent is uh, working on their own relationship with food or has, um, has has genuinely made a lot of progress in healing their relationship with food and understands that they can have Oreos, they can have ice cream or whatever, especially um, if you like, you didn't have a kid at that time. And then like, you do have a kid while you're still, you know, working on your own relationship with food. We have to remember that diet culture doesn't magically not influence child feeding advice. Even starting with solids, people will say, oh, make sure you start with a vegetable, not a fruit, because if you start with a fruit, that'll teach them to prefer sweet flavors, which is a total myth. My, 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 my daughter too. Yeah. That's yeah. A- yeah. Or I hear parents complain, like, why is breast milk so sweet? It teaches them to get hooked on sugar from the beginning. And I'm like, what else are we going to do? <laughs> like, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so, um, so, you know, the first thing I would say is that advice about feeding kids is not in some magical diet culture free bubble. Things about um, make sure they get this much protein and this much iron and under this much amount of sugar or don't start with fruit, only start with vegetables. You know, uh, none of that is coming from a place of do X, Y, Z so your kid won't get fat. Sometimes we see that. Sometimes we in like the breast milk versus formula or um, even like baby, I'm a fan of baby led weaning, but like baby led weaning teaches self-regulation. Um, therefore, if you're like the coded language is that if your kid is self-regulated, they won't get fat. <laughs> I'm big on kids being in whichever body they're genetically predestined to be in, right? Um, but, you know, parents walking into this um, feeding kids area, this is why you know, my podcast is The Messy Intersection, is like you're navigating your own stuff <laughs> and then bam! <laughs> It's like a, just a, a car wreck or whatever of like all this stuff about feeding kids comes in and you may feel like you have worked through the adult stuff, you know, to like report the Noom ad. And, you know, um, if you're, if you're shopping for clothes, like, you know, use inclusive brands or whatever, but then this kid world comes in and we're like, whoa. And where I find that it gets complicated is that even if you have embraced whatever your kid's body size is going to be, there's still the healthism voice of if your kid doesn't eat vegetables, then like what, like fill in the blank, like what, <laughs> like, what? like, you know, uh, maybe in X many years, some, you know, some study will say something will happen, <laughs> but you know, if your kid doesn't eat vegetables, if your kid only prefers carbs, um, then, you know, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And the, what's really unspoken is, and then you will have been a bad parent because you didn't figure out how to get them to like vegetables. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I think people don't really, this isn't on front and center on people's radar because it's not about the child's body size most of the time. Sometimes it is. But, um, you know, things, so just different things like, you know, even being really positive about vegetables. Oh, look at the carrot here. We can dip it in the sauce. Uh, and then like with, with sweets or chips, it's like, um, sure, you can have some. Like, like, you know, instead of being like, I love chips too. Hey, I love it with, you know, sour cream and onion dip. And, you know, we're, we're setting up a, um, a food hierarchy without meaning to in, in being really positive about the um, quote unquote healthy stuff. And then um, we've learned, we probably learned the term food neutrality, Oreos, ice cream, neutral, neutral, um, but we are um, automatically kind of setting them on a lower, you know, portion of the pyramid by like not being as positive. Um, so I, I like to tell parents, you know, speak positively about all foods that puts them all on a neutral playing field and kind of creates food neutrality with that positivity, if it makes any sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually, that it's something that we don't really think about too much because a lot of, I think a lot of times we're always, especially if you have a selective eater, mm-hmm. you can be really pumped when they just try something new. And sometimes you can overly praise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not really realize that you're doing that and then having, and then at the same time, like then what's the narrative that's going on inside the child's mind or what's being implanted in them. So that makes sense that that would be an inadvertent way to kind of demonize foods or create a hierarchy of foods Mm -hmm. just by the way that we engage and have conversations around it, um, around how do we do that and how we do and how we um, kind of praise certain types of things or just kind of neutralize the other ones and then not realize like, oh, they should all be celebrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you posted recently kind of about the idea about providing encouragement Mm -hmm. versus like, what was it? You called it positive, positive pressure or something. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So what I think is really interesting, especially thinking about selective eaters is um, put put a pin in selective eaters for a second. When we think about adults and dieting, 
um, what's what makes dieting so unsustainable is that you are trying to conform to somebody else's pattern of what you should eat, right? Whether it's low carb or whatever it's, you know, you're somebody else says, this is what I think you should eat and you're trying to do it and it's not sustainable, right? Let's come back to selective eating. Well, uh, the child has a way that they would like to eat <laughs> and, um, it's the parent's agenda coming in of saying, well, I think that you should eat a different way. You should, you should conform your eating to my pattern of what is right for you versus what you think is, is right for you. Now, whenever I share this kind of information, I was coming with the caveat, I'm a dietitian. I don't want anyone, you know, eating nothing but simple carbs any more than I want anyone eating nothing but protein any more than I want anyone eating nothing but broccoli, right? Like I want people to have, um, be able to be in touch with their body signals enough that they can tell, Ooh, this doesn't feel good. Like to have only bread, I want to add a protein in here. Like so this is the process of raising intuitive eaters, right? Um, and we generally find that in the right um, environment, and I hesitate to use the word right there because it's not about like getting everything correct, but when we can foster uh, a kid's um, internal drive to eat, you know, a peaceful relationship with food, peaceful times at the table, lots of variety to choose from, no pressure coming from the adults, we generally see that they will meet their nutritional needs. You know, they may not need everything under the sun. My kids don't need everything under the sun, but I still think that they have a pretty gen healthy relationship with food and they're meeting their nutritional needs. So. Um, um, where the, the praise comes in is when um, the adults got in their head that they learned from diet culture, uh, a pattern of eating that they think that the kid should ascribe to. And so when they see them take steps towards it, which is, um, you know, oh, yay, you took a bite, yay, clap, clap, clap. Or, um, you know, even um, I think on that post, it said something like, sister's eating her broccoli. Can you be a big boy too and eat your broccoli? Um, none of these things are things that immediately come to mind as um, a negative, such as you have to eat three more bites of broccoli or else you're not getting any dessert or you're not leaving this table. Or um, even, you know, why don't you ever eat vegetables? Don't you know how unhealthy that is? I think a lot of parents, at least ones who are taking baby steps towards an anti-diet approach, they know that that's not, um, not gonna be helpful here. Um, but that post was about um, whether positive pressure is um, also not helpful. And I would, I would compare it to, you know, if you walk into a family gathering and you have lost weight and they go, oh, look at you, you look so fantastic. Well, then you gain the weight back and you're like, everybody was so great to me when I was, you know, thinner or whatever it is. And to the child it can be, wow, everybody's so great to me when I eat these vegetables that don't feel good in my mouth. But, you know, I want, you know, I want to be a good kid. I want to please my parents. So I'm going to do it anyway. And, you know, where are we? Well, we are with a kid who eats according to somebody else's idea of what they should eat versus following their own intuition. Yeah, I think that's such a good point too about how it leads them to wanting to kind of seek praise and not following their own their own natural navigation. And one of the things that I've noticed with my own daughter and she's three and a half and so she's at that prime age of like, no, I'm not going to. And I love I actually like I know this sounds nuts like as much as I hate it, I actually really love it at the same time because it really is great a great challenge for me as a parent and as someone who's anti diet <laughs> anti diet. <laughs> To also kind of see it as, all right, here's a really great way for me to, to practice and put my money where my mouth is, you know, with her. And one of the things that I have found that I, I really like is kind of relating back to her about certain foods of maybe she doesn't like something. And, you know, I generally, there are generally foods that I don't like, like, I don't like red peppers. Do I have to like red peppers in order to be healthy? No, I don't <laughs> have to like red peppers in order to be healthy. And your child doesn't have to like broccoli in order to be healthy. There's a lot of different things out there that can influence what it means to be healthy. And I think sometimes we can have a really narrow view of what healthy can look like. Um, and I think especially when we have a child who's really 
really assertive of selecting their food and also very strong about not maybe not liking a lot of different things, or you feel like they don't like enough things because of the influences that you have and the parental pressure that you come when you see your kid eating, not the same way that other kids might be eating and then feeling like, oh, shoot, I may have failed at this. Mm -hmm. And so what are some ways that you encourage families to think about what makes a healthy relationship with food that might be a little bit different, like opening up the bandwidth a little bit of what it looks like to be quote unquote healthy. Yeah. So um, in my initial sessions with parents, I always bring up um, this visual and I know we're on a podcast, so you can't see me, but um, you know, I'll, most, most parents who seek a pediatric dietitian are pretty concerned with nutrition, right? I already have some anxiety there. And they're thinking, how is he meeting his calcium needs? How can I get him to eat more vegetables? How can I do this, that, this, that? And I will say, listen, I'm a dietitian. We're going to talk about nutrition, I swear. <laughs> but um, so, you know, where I'm coming from, your child's nutrition is, is here. And I have my hand up like around my mouth priority, definitely important, but your child's relationship with food is up here, up by my eyes, right. With my other hand. And we're never going to do something that's going to push the, the nutrition above the relationship with food. So that would be tricking kids to, you know, to eat more bites, you know, blending it into a smoothie or a muffin and not telling them, um, you know, uh, restricting sweets or something like that. All of that um, may get the, you know, the data on the nutrition up to stellar numbers or whatever. Um, but, you know, kids are not robots or even plants, right? Um, you know, whenever we do those things, it compromises the relationship with food. And that compromises so many other areas of health, mental health, in particular, and, you know, uh, social connections that, um, you know, uh, I often share um, a, a visual that's like all the factors that go into health, like we're kind of told by diet culture, it's what you eat and exercise, right? And it's actually so much more mental health, social support, uh, socioeconomic status, genetics, all this stuff. And so I try to help parents zoom away from the, you know, eating and exercise component to see that like, yes, that's there. But if we don't have mental health, um, and you know, all these other things that that um, relation connection between parent and child, then we're focusing on the wrong thing. Like there, there are going to be other health, um, negative health outcomes from this, you know, focus, focus, focus on nutrition um, versus um, sort of zooming out and prioritizing the relationship with food and the relationship with each other, that family relationship. Yeah, I think that's it. I really love the visual of not letting one become higher than the other. And I think a lot of times too, there's so much internal pressure from the parents. And one of the things that I've said to people before is how much time do you spend making sure that you have enough calcium? You know, there's a lot of pressure of when it becomes to, to parents or to, to think like, okay, now I need to be a specialist in everything. Mm -hmm. And I need to know everything about how to do this and making sure that my child has all these things. Cause of course, as any parent would want, we want the best for our child. We want them set up for success. And we think of these different things as being success markers because we've been told for so long that they're success markers. Mm -hmm. And so it can feel really complicated and we overcomplicate how to then implement just really simple things like having a meal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about it and having all these things and, and the way that it can become kind of obsessive, right. As for a lot of parents around, how do I then manage what my child's eating and micromanage how my child's eating. And that kind of pressure is always going to be negative when we start to micromanage how, what our, our child is doing and what our child is eating, eating and how we're doing all that. And it makes sense. I can understand how, and I, you know, as a parent to parent, I don't do everything perfectly. Sometimes I have to have conversations too of like, got to back up the bus a little bit here. Yeah. Correct. But there are times when like you think it makes sense to take similar tools that you would use 
in other areas of parenting, like how do we get out the door more easily? All right, mm-hmm. let's create a routine. Let's do all these different things. Or maybe there's a re- reward system for bedtime. Like, okay, if I do all these things then I get to do this afterwards, it makes sense then that you would then apply the same type of thing to food because we think of food and nourishment as equally as important. And it is important. Like you're saying, it is important, but it's not at the compromise of their mental and emotional relationship with food too. And I think that's something that can often be forgotten because we can get so hyper-focused on the, the big things of, okay, I need to make sure that they're eating. I need to make sure they're doing all these things and, um, and doing all that. And then at the same time, like what thread are we pulling? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's man, becoming a parent in this day and age, it's just so many pressures. And I don't really think that social media does us any favors. And I don't think that parents become parents these days thinking that it will be just like all, you know, clean carpets and roses. (laughs) Like, I think that we know that it's going to be tough, but at the same time, I think social media in particular sells us solutions to, to what is so tough about it. So behavior will be one thing, sleep for sure, eating, you know, if we would just do this right, you know, and, you know, same like the sticker chart or whatever, uh, apply it to kid feeding. Well, then I will have done my job as a parent. I will get my gold star and I won't have to face the negative consequences of being a quote unquote bad parent, right? Like that's, it's a lot of avoiding like in the feelings of being a failure in parenting. Right. And I'm not saying that that's not real. Like, of course we don't want to fail our kids. Uh, but you know, it, people, a lot of times parents are surprised when I start talking about how it's not actually your job to get the bite of food into the mouth. We don't have to do any tricks, whether it's a sticker chart, or even a lot of people will use the division of responsibility, which is the the primary principle of child feeding where the parent chooses um, what the food is, where it's served and um, when it's served, but the child has the agency to choose whether to put it in their body and how much. I'm I'm a pretty big fan of that, but we start employing it as the way to get the kid to eat broccoli, not the way to get the kid to have a healthy relationship with food. And, you know, that's another one that's hard for parents to shift their mindset on because the whole idea is to get the kid to be healthy because that's how you get your gold star as being a parent is, you know, um, so it's a, it's a gentle method you're not forcing, but they're still, they're still not getting them to, to eat the food. And I'm like, well, is our mealtimes more peaceful? Are, you know, is it, do they seem more relaxed? Are they starting to express interest in trying something new? Like that's the objective here. And so sometimes I, um, I'll compare it instead of, um, instead of getting your kids to put their shoes on in the morning, you might, you might do like, listen, buddy, I'm going to count to five. And if you don't have your shoes on in the morning, no more screen time or whatever. Like, I don't actually know if that's the right thing to do. <laughs> I'm not a parenting expert. Um, but we don't do that with something like, um, you know, reading a, a chapter in a book or something like that. Right. Um, we don't say, if you don't read this by, you know, six o'clock, you are getting a timeout or whatever. Right. Like if you want your kid to learn reading, you would want to make sure, do they have all the skills? Is the book age appropriate? Is uh, you know, are you sitting with them and helping them through any words that they're struggling with, right? It's not like my way or the highway deal. It's let, let me help you set up an environment so that this, you have all the tools you need. And you can recognize that like maybe reading's not your kid's jam, right? Like I hope that they can read. <laughs> I hope that they have the skills to navigate the world through literacy. But if they're never reading at a college level or whatever, but they have something else that they excel at, well, that's just respecting your kid's individuality, right? And not getting them so many problems in the world or we try to get our kids to conform to our expectations of what their lives should be like. Oh yeah. And so much of that is also societal pressure too, of what it's supposed to be in meeting all those milestones. I kind of think about it a little bit when you were talking about equating it back to crawling. So if your child's not crawling, you're not going to yell at them and put them in the corner and say, (laughs) and say, 
and say, um, you need to start crawling or else you don't get to do whatever. Instead, you're going to look at resources. You're going to find out why might my child be struggling with crawling? What kind of tools can I bring to the table? What kind of exercises can we practice together to get them set up and primed in order to do that? Or is my kid just one of those kids who's going to stand up and start walking one day and not ever crawls, you know? And so I think that's really interesting to kind of think about it that way a little bit and to say, you're right, it's not our job to get them to eat. It's our job to present the food to them and present all the different aspects and then to not demonize them for in order to, for not doing what we feel to be the performance that we're expecting from parents. Sometimes that can feel really hard, but at the end of the day, it's really not about, about them. It's really about what we, we fear it says about us Mm -hmm. (laughs) is usually the big thing of like, oh my God, what's someone going to think about me? Yeah parent if my kid's not doing this. And I think that's actually a really great barometer for whether or not you need to pull back big time. If part of the thing that you're thinking about is, oh God, what are people going to think of me if my child's eating another cupcake? You know? Um, And it's just kind of interesting to kind of think about that a little bit. Um, One of the things that you mentioned on your Instagram that I really like too, is you talked about, and you defined something called eating competence. Mm -hmm. And I talk a lot about being a confident eater. And I think Mm -hmm. it's probably not not that dissimilar, but I'd love to hear more about how can you explain what eating competence is and what that might look like? So for parents, they can kind of, that are listening to this can think, okay, here's my goal. Um, here's something that I can work for, work towards, and how do I create eating competence within for my child? Yeah, definitely. Um, so eating competence is actually, I think, a trademarked term from the Ellen Satter Institute. And what's interesting about um, the Satter Institute is that we all know them, most dietitians at least know them about the division of responsibility that I just described. Um, but they actually have a ton of other resources and research um, on um, other aspects that influence a person's healthy relationship with food. Um, so I, before, I, whenever I talk about this, I always want to introduce the caveat that there is a critique that um, the wor- use of the word competence there is uh, a bit ableist in terms of, well, are you incompetent if either, um, let's say you're not an intuitive eater yet, are you incompetent at eating? Or let's say you are, maybe you're that selective eater who grows up to still prefer chicken nuggets and French fries and you're totally fine with that. But like, are you, are you in, so eh, this is the best word. I don't know, but I do think that the research from the Satter Institute behind um, how they define eating competence is really fascinating. Um, So uh, the, the concept is that um, a person, and they they have a test, which again, like, should there be a test to see if you're a good eater or not? I don't know, (laughs) but there's a test and they, uh, they, which is a research tool and people who score highly on this eating competence uh, tool, um, they find that they are relaxed in matter of fact about um, what to choose, like choosing foods to nourish their body. They know when to, when they're hungry, okay, time to eat, what time to stop eating, what food is going to fuel them well through certain situations. Um, they find food to be enjoyable and enjoy, you know, being with other people in social settings with food. Um, basically, um, sometimes I actually describe um, eating competence and intuitive eating as like Pepsi and Coke, like basically the same thing, just different organizations behind it. Um, but what's interesting about eating competence is that the Saturn Institute has gone further to connect that when a parent scores highly on the eating their eating competence scale, it shows up in their food parenting and they're more likely to be using practices such as the division of responsibility to um, also help the child uh, grow up with a healthy relationship with food. Uh, So um, whenever, and this comes up a lot when I'm working with parents is that um, they say, you know, I want, I want my kid to eat broccoli and get enough calcium and all this stuff. And um, you know, it, I, I share a potential alternative goal. I don't like to come in and say, well, you need to have this goal instead. Um, but I share a potential alternative goal is like, what if we were working towards your child having eating competence, which is that, you know, when they're a teenager and they're, you know, ordering a restaurant for the first time, they 
you're like, what, what sounds good? You know, does a salad sound good or a burger? And it's not about, um, it basically is intuitive eating, right? It's not about, I need to choose a salad because it's healthier. It's, you know, what sounds good to me in this moment? How can I, you know, eat to nourish my body and move on with my day? Um, which I think is what, you know, and enjoy it. I mean, it should be enjoyable, but, um, you know, I think that's what we all want for our kids is for them to have that life skill of navigating food the same way we want them to be able to navigate the written word or drive a car. You know, it's just things you need to do as you move from being a child and parent takes care of everything for you to gradually becoming an adult and you need to be able to take care of these things for yourself. Yeah, that's such a good point of the navigation of how to how to navigate all of that going forward. And that's where I guess where I come up with the idea of feeling confident, like feeling like, okay, I can go. And what I've talked to some of my parents um, with and even some of my the teenagers that I work with is I want you to feel confident with navigating a college campus cafeteria and feeling like, oh, I know what I can do. I know what's going to help me feel physically well and also enjoy. And how do we marry marry all these things together without demonizing anything? How do I feel confident that I, like you said, know how to nourish my body, but at the same time also am enjoying my food, having fun with it and not shaming myself in any way for enjoying something that maybe quote unquote, other people might think of as bad food or not as healthy as other things. And how do you kind of, to to kind of like move through that a little bit? I had this um, thought that I wanted to bring up with you. So speaking of Ellen Sater's model of division of responsibility, um, one thing that came up, it was really interesting. It was a conversation about that someone had with me about food waste and how they felt that following the Ellen Sater model division of responsibility could make for more food waste mm. because you don't encourage your child to finish what's on their plate because they get to decide how much they're eating. And I have my own personal thoughts about it. And I, but I'd love to hear it because I was thinking this came up in conversation very casually over the weekend with someone. And I thought, oh my gosh, it'd be so much fun to talk to Diane <laughs> cool. and hear what she thinks about, because there is this movement towards sustainability. Mm-hmm. Your parents are thinking about this and thinking like, as part of the, as people are hopefully moving away from the clean plate club, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also at the same time thinking, how do I navigate food waste versus a division of responsibility? And I'm just curious if you have, mm-hmm. if this is really putting you on the, on- no, this comes up for me a lot. I hear this a lot. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So I'm not. Yeah. So I think, um, so a lot of this stems, I mean, I'm, I'm, I I want to save the planet. I want sustainability. Um, but a lot of this does come from the same background that we all came up in, which is, um, you know, whether it's clean plate club or, you know, don't, don't be wasteful. I spent my hard earned money on this. Um, you know, I, a lot of my adult clients are in this like push pull of, I want to be thinner, but I learned I'm not supposed to leave food on my plate. And, you know, um, so, uh, when this comes up with parents, the first thing I do is, um, try to encourage them to broaden their definition of the purpose of the food. That might sound ridiculous. Um, I do a lot of content with, um, starting solids for infants. Like I mentioned, baby led weaning and a big complaint about baby led weaning is how much of it ends up on the floor and on the baby's head. And, you know, uh, but what was the, you know, let's say the baby was eating, I don't know, pasta, like noodles and red sauce or something like that. Um, but yes, this is going to make a big mess. Um, but there's an advantage to giving the baby, you know, a half cup serving that they can explore with their hands and get some of it into their mouth versus placing like a single noodle on their plate. And like, once you eat that, you get another one. Okay. Now you get another one. Like that's kind of teaching the baby that the, the parent sets the pace of the food. So the purpose of a half a cup of pasta is yes, to get five or so noodles into the baby's body, but also for them to have that, um, tactile experience with their hands, to learn about the motor skills of getting the pasta into their hands, um, to learn about regulating their appetite after, you know, five or whatever noodles and they see the rest and they're like, there's no reason for me to eat that. I, you know, it's there, but I, why would I put it in my body if my body's not feeling like I want it? So um, the purpose of the food 
is not exclusively, and I think this message comes from diet culture, that the purpose of food is exclusively to nourish us. Well, you know, can we expand our definition especially with kids, that the purpose of food is to have exposures and to explore and, you know, to figure out what our, our own personal appetite is. And if you only ever got one piece of bread, you're not going to know if five pieces of bread would have felt better or two pieces of bread or whatever. Um, so we have to have that available. Um, and as a result, there will be some waste, but it still served a purpose. So is it actually wasted, right? So, um, you know, on top of that, though, there's other things that parents can do. Yes, maybe if it's noodles that a kid smushed all over, uh, those are probably going in the trash, right? Um, but if I serve my kid a bowl of chili and she takes three bites, I'm putting that chili in the fridge and I'm having it for my own lunch later. Like it's not necessarily going in the trash or, um, oh, the half eaten bananas in my house, let me tell you. <laughs> um, I cut off the part with the bite and they all go into the freezer and we use them for smoothies. And, you know, same with um, whenever we have a little bit of broccoli left over, uh, you know, I was finding these like half cup servings of broccoli in the back of my fridge moldy, right? Because I, I was like, oh, I'll put it on my lunch. Well, I don't. Now they all go into the same container of broccoli in the freezer and I make broccoli cheddar soup once I have enough of it. So, um, you know, if you are intentional about certain things that you tend to get a lot of um, half eaten portions of, <laughs> then, um, you know, you can save it for later. Um, you know, even like, I mean, I, I might be kind of liberal in terms of like germs if my kid's spoon went into their chili I'm like, whatever, we all live in the same house. Like, <laughs> like if you're, if you're going down, I'm going down, right? Um, but, you know, so other people might have other feelings about germs. You can navigate that yourself. Um, but just because a food went onto a child's plate and then they didn't ultimately eat it doesn't mean that that food has to go in the trash. I don't think so. Yeah, I agree. And I also think too, like, there's nothing, I like to encourage my daughter and I find this to be helpful too. And maybe you'll have a differing opinion, but I find it as a way for her to regulate and find out what she likes to have for, for meals and what she, what her body's telling her that she's desiring. And I like to honor that. So sometimes I will deviate from the division of, <laughs> of responsibility sometimes in the encouragement of her saying, okay, I'm going to serve like for breakfast, we're going to have eggs with a little bit of toast. What would you like to go with it? And then if she eats all of the eggs and the toast, cool. But if she decides, no, I really would like to have yogurt. Who am I to say that yogurt's not a great choice for her to have for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And maybe she feels really satisfied with having that. And so I think sometimes there's that navigation of, of trying to, to help the child be able to tune into and keep their own internal mechanisms of here's what I enjoy. Here's what I, um, what my body needs. And I'm going to honor that and walk away and not feel the pressure to finish like, oh, you have to finish your eggs and toast before mm -hmm. give you yogurt. I don't necessarily want to do that. Even mm -hmm. if it is waste, quote unquote, wasteful. I think you're right. Thinking about well, what does mean in what way are we looking at waste here? And can I use those eggs for something else? Or can I eat some of it myself and do something different or, or something, or can we share it together so that she has the exposure to it or however you're doing it? I think that's a really great way of putting it and kind of thinking about it a little bit differently of saying, well, what is waste? And can we expand that? Am I being too perfectionistic about, <laughs> about what it means to be sustainable too? And like you said, again, like the nutrition and these, these values that we have, are we then offsetting them with, are we putting them above our children's relationship with food? And I think it comes back to that in so many ways. And so before we wrap up, um, cause we have just like a couple minutes left. Um, I was thinking about something that I'd love for you to, to share some thoughts on is sometimes we have to course correct <laughs> and either for you yourself, maybe accidentally demonized a food item or someone else near you spoke negatively about food or pressured food in front of your child. Um, what are some recommendations that you might have for a parent to course correct? Yeah. So somebody else speaking negatively about food is a huge one. I would say, you know, if I had to rank the 
types of questions that I get, <laughs> that would be up there at the top where the, the parent is really trying to, um, you know, do the anti-diet thing and, you know, let the kid ex have a, explore having a healthy relationship with food. And then grandma, next door neighbor, whoever comes in and goes, oh, we're being so bad tonight by having these cupcakes or whatever. <laughs> um, so um, I know you asked about course correcting, but I, I genuinely believe that the most important thing is that foundation of in my home or in our home, cupcakes aren't a big deal. And, you know, the, we don't demonize each other for having them. So, um, you know, that existing and you continually um, supporting that message is the thing that is going to be most valuable in your kid's healthy relationship with food. But, you know, depending on the kid's age and exactly how the comment was delivered and who it was delivered from, uh, I would say, um, you know, let's just roll with grandma here. Grandma says, oh, we're being so bad eating these cupcakes. Um, I probably, uh, well, it's up to you in that moment. Is it your mother-in-law? Is it your own mom? Like, do you have a relationship with this person that you can even say anything? If you do have a relationship that you can and you want to say something, uh, I would probably go, oh, don't be silly. Cupcakes <laughs> are so good. We love having cupcakes or whatever. Um, and then, but more importantly is later, if you feel like, I would say, you know, a lot of times the adult is like, I have to, I have to be an anti-diet I have to do this right. I have to say something about that cupcake comment, right? Can you give a read on the situation about whether it actually impacted your kid, right? Maybe it rolled right off them. They didn't even think about it. Or maybe they're like, I am the cupcakes now. And they're like, can I eat it? Is it bad? Whoa, I, this is weird. Like that's when I would <clears throat> say something. And I would probably say something like, you know, when grandma said that thing about being bad for cupcakes, like that was pretty silly, wasn't it? Like, I mean, we eat cupcakes all the time. You know, one thing I'm really big on is talking about how all food is healthy food. I really think that this is kind of like an antidote to the messages that kids will inevitably get from school or wherever about like, you know, soda isn't healthy or whatever. Like all food fuels our bodies, does different things for either our physical bodies or our minds. All food is healthy food. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I pull that out when somebody says that cupcakes are bad. Like, this is so silly. All food is healthy. Where is, where is this even coming from? You know, and that just, um, it's not so much to negate what grandma said, but to reinforce your household value of all food is good food. Um, now, if it is, you know, you who, let's say, um, you know, the kids wanted uh, to get ice cream on the way home from school or, and you're like, oh my God, you've already had so much sugar. <laughs> like, um, you know, fate to make it is also like a, a big thing here. Um, I do think it's important for parents to, to know that it is okay to say no to like, whether it's ice cream after school or a second dessert or something like that, it is okay. Like you don't have to let your kids have unlimited free reign on sweets all the time any more than they would have like unlimited free reign on, um, you know, I don't know, running around in their underpants or like, I don't, I don't know, like you are running into the street. Like, like you do have to set up some basics. Right. Um, but I know that for a parent who's trying to do this anti-diet thing, it can feel like ever saying no, ever restricting, um, a, you know, a conventionally demonized food is, um, wrong. But like, let's say like it did, like, you know, they're eating the Halloween candy and you're like, oh my gosh, give me a break. You've had so much freaking sugar. And you're like, oops, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> you know, you say, you know, that was a silly thing for me to say, you know, I'm not really sure why I, I said that, you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't, you know, grandma didn't let me have X, Y, and Z, but I, I, you know, I can tell it makes you happy. I want you to enjoy it. Let's find a time to enjoy it together. And then that part that piece where you're enjoying it with them, that's the antidote as well, is that they see like, if this is safe enough to go in my parents' body, it's safe enough for me too. So mm -hmm. hopefully that helps. No, I love that. And one thing that I've said to my daughter too is um when I have felt like, oh man, are we going, are we going down a down like the like Halloween is especially like a tough time for a lot of parents, like, oh my God, the amount, yeah. like they get everyone gets really paranoid. Is I've been practicing with my daughter, and again, she's only three and a half, but I practice with her a lot around checking in with her body, you know, mm -hmm. like check in with your body. How does your body feel? You know, and just the other day she told me, she goes, I think I had too many dates. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm like knowledge dropping from a yeah. 
you know, and Mm -hmm. it's just kind of funny though, to think about it that way. But I like to encourage, um, to, to, even if they don't know, like my, my daughter will literally will look at her belly and she's like, my body says, yes. I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's Mm -hmm. keep going then, you know? And, um, I think also that's like another way of kind of making it fun for the kid is saying, including them in the process and having them feel like they have agency. Mm -hmm over a lot of those different pieces. And like you say, like you said, with your, with kind of that quote unquote course correcting, although I, I don't really love the phrasing of mm-hmm. the idea is around kind of having that conversation with them of saying, Hey, you know what? Sometimes I mess up too. Mm-hmm. Or like, sometimes I said something that I didn't really mean, um, or here's where this came from, you know, and having that honest conversation with your kid and say, Hey, I'd like to enjoy the cupcakes with you. Let's have one together. Yeah. Um, yeah that. And I think that's such a great thing. So thank you so much, Diana, for coming on. I'd love for you to share where people can find you, anything you have going on, all of the things. Yeah, definitely. So um, online, you can find me uh, at Anti-Diet Kids on Instagram and Facebook. I also have a Facebook group called Raising Anti-Diet Kids. And that's a really great place to kind of express some of these, um, you know, you just don't know how to navigate certain things. Um, so that's the, you know, the, the purpose of the group is to sort of create a community um, for helping each other navigate that stuff. I do have a a podcast called The Messy Intersection, as I described. It's um, it started out kind of as a way for, you know, especially with brand new moms, like, you know, when you're navigating breastfeeding or, you know, formula feeding. Uh, but now it's really a place for anybody who's like, holy moly, this, uh, feeding myself, feeding kids, this is bananas. Um, and I, um, I have a, a nutrition counseling practice uh, called Tiny Seed Nutrition. And uh, I find that my favorite clients are. Um, people who are doing their own intuitive eating work likely with another practitioner and are just like, like you were saying, like, but how do I translate it to my kids? Um, because you know, those, those clients are already there in terms of, I don't have to introduce the concept that, you know, all bodies are good bodies or whatever. Um, but I still, you know, I do a lot of training in um, responsive feeding, which is sort of the, it's like the kid version of intuitive eating. <laughs> so, um, I can bring that in, um, to a family who, uh, does want to, um, you know, go on this journey of responsive feeding and intuitive eating. So that's tinyseednutrition.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everything. And um, yeah, I'll share all the things with everybody in the show notes. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.